The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, and welcome to It's Relatable on Mind Body Spirit FM, where we talk about all things relationship. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and I'm so happy you're here. Get comfortable and let's dig in. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Um, today, I am talking to my friend Tanya Ward Goodman about our relationship with our elders and how it changes as we become older ourselves. Um, This is a pretty amazing phenomenon that's happened in the last couple of decades where people are living longer and we are seeing folks pushed into what is colloquially known as the sandwich generation, which is often um, folks who are taking care of elders and also raising children simultaneously. Although you don't necessarily need to be raising children at the same time to have a changing relationship with your elders. Um, And for some of us, it's not even so much about caregiving, but it is just about what does that relationship look like once we become adults and we start to shift the way that we see the folks who were authority figures when we were growing up. So I thought this was a really interesting conversation to have because it's something that all of us go through for the most part. Um, So let's just dive in. Let me tell you a little bit about Tanya. Tanya Ward Goodman is the author of the award-winning memoir, Leaving Tinkertown. Her essays and articles have appeared in numerous publications, including the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, Lux, the Orange County Register, Huffington Post, Variable West, and another Chicago magazine. Her essay, What Life Does, was originally published in Fourth River, and it was listed as notable in the 2019 Best American Science and Nature Writing. She is currently at work on a second memoir about motherhood and the way travel cultivates a willing acceptance of uncertainty. And I'm going to include links to some organizations that we talk about during this episode, as well as ways to buy her book and to support Tanya's writing if you want to find her after the show. So let's go ahead. Let's go for it. Thanks for listening. All right. Yay. Me and Tanya are going to have a conversation. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, I'm, I was, so I was saying before we started this, I, um, you know, I read your, your memoir, Leaving Tinkertown when it first came out. And then I went back and reread it this week and, um, was just struck by so many of the things So when I first read it, my dad had died. My mom was dealing with early onset Alzheimer's, but I hadn't yet finished my memoir. And I was still kind of in the soup of taking care of her. Um, And now my mom died in June of 2020. And so my life is so different now. And I was really struck by how the book hit me in a different way this time. It was just that sort of, I have a little more distance from it. Um, But one of the things that I 
that I'm interested in, I guess probably I'm just going to dive in. My first question for you is, you know, what was it like to sort of feel or were you even aware of, of the shift in relationship from like being a daughter to being a caregiver? Yeah. Um, I think that was the hard, uh, that was the hardest thing. And mm-hmm. it, um, and it's really actually, um, when I think about it, 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 it was, that was the struggle at the beginning of that time. Um, I think when my dad and I had always had a really tight, close relationship and we'd always really understood each other and we didn't have to like do a lot of deep explaining to kind of just get each other. Mm. And, um, and so it was very confusing because I was living in Los Angeles and he was living in New Mexico when he was diagnosed and, you know, even before he was diagnosed. And, and so I thought, well, is it just that we haven't been living together that, that we've kind of lost the thread here Mm. or, um, like, is it just that, you know, I'm growing up and he's, he's growing older and like, we, we aren't as close anymore. Like there was a kind Mm -hmm. of a like, Oh, like, is this just what happens like to parents and children? Do we just lose connection in that way? Mm. And, um, and then I realized, no, no, like he's actually something else is going on. And yeah. So then it was kind of like becoming the, the, the caregiver and, and realizing that I was going to have to sacrifice in some ways the connection to, to make sure that he was safe. And, um, mm. and fine. Then, then to sort of, that was like the sort of first, first response was like, okay, I got to figure this out. And like, we're going to take you to the doctor and I know you're going to be mad at me. And it doesn't really matter. But yeah. then to kind of figure out, well, how can I take care of you and also rebuild our connection? And yeah. that's, that's where it really, um, became sort of more, more gratifying to me and where we stop just running around like crazy people like ah everything is ter-. like what's happening you know right you kind of just run around going with your head cut off because you are so sad and so freaked out and you don't know what's happening yeah. um, but then there was a moment where we all um and I think for me particularly just I was like well I don't need to have a big job right now. I don't need, as long as he's safe, like it doesn't really matter. And yeah. what, what we do together. And that's when we could kind of have our connection again. And, and we took like this amazing road trip, um, <laughs> out here to California right before I moved back here. And we spent this great time together. And I, I kind of was able to let go of, you know, of, of kind of everything. And I just tried to keep him safe, but I tried to do all the things that he loved to do. And we went to the beach and we rode the roller coasters at Knott's Berry Farm and we mm-hmm. ate a million things. And by that point, you know, he always had a little bit of a hard time not drinking a million beers. And and at that point, he didn't even know that he was not drinking, you know, that he was drinking non-alcoholic beer. It was just to like <laughs> have a bottle in his hand and I was like, <laughs> And so all that stuff that like that loosening on my part made him looser. And I think mm. that's, um, whenever I talk to anyone who's kind of going through Alzheimer's now, um, I always say if you if you can and it's hard, but yeah. if you can loosen your hands a little, yeah, it's gonna be better you know, your, your relationship will improve because you, you won't be gripping and that, and people yeah. know how, how much they've forgotten. Everyone knows the feeling of being gripped, right? Yes. You feel good. No matter how far into Alzheimer's you are, that feeling yeah. really grabbed and, and held never is going to feel good. So if you can loosen your grip a little who cares yeah. eat a, uh, you know like nine ice cream sandwiches i think he ate like nine <laughs> on the way home from the grocery store and we were like, great you know whatever yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. yeah yeah it's it strikes me that um i mean there are some, my brain is on fire right now actually with all these other things that i'm thinking about and part of it is um there it's that like choosing whether or not you're coming from a place of fear 
right? And there's so much unknown in all of that. I mean, there's so much we don't know about Alzheimer's or dementia or any of these other things. I mean, I think I have a friend right now who her father was recently diagnosed with ALS. And it's, it's, you know, so cognitively he's there, but um, trying to figure out like, how do we make food for you? How do we prepare food for you that you can swallow without choking? And what does that look like? And there's this, so there's that constant tension between, um, I have to do all the things that make sure that you're going to be okay. And then also recognizing like, this is a human being and they want some autonomy and they need a voice in all of this. And they want to be connected to us. And fear, I think, creates this barrier between us and the other person. Well, yeah, because you're so worried that you're not doing it right or that you're going to let something slip through the cracks. Or, I mean, I think when we don't understand fully or we don't have all the information and we're never, I mean, I don't think we're never going to have all the information. Right. We just like it, as soon as we decide, well, we don't know everything. I always feel a lot calmer. <laughs> right. Like, they, well, yeah, I don't know half of the stuff I need to know. And, and that's okay because nobody yeah. Right. Right. It's like, I know enough to take the next right step. Yeah. Or if I can just root myself in love, right. Then, then it's like, okay, because I, you're right. It's like, none of us wants to feel like we're being controlled. None of us. I mean, it was the other piece of that, as you were talking was, it was, there's a lit, there's so many shades of what it's like to parent a teenager <laughs> in there. It's so, much, it's so much like that. It really is. It's that sort of like, oh, like, yeah, do you want to do that thing? And like, you know, it's a kind of a sideways, well, what a great idea you've had, even though we've been kind of like from afar, like building the road that goes yes. that way. Yes. <laughs> but, oh, wow. Yeah. You, you took that road. That's amazing. It's right. Really- that's here because we've been (laughs) right yeah and you know and that feeling of like I can remember my mom just even if she didn't remember who I was Mm -hmm. and even if she didn't fully cognitively understand what it was that I was doing on some sort of cellular level she knew that she wasn't in charge and it pissed her off yes yeah and it does it really does I've been um kind of unofficially helping a neighbor friend of mine who has some memory issues and and whenever any of the other people in her life show up and they go oh well, we have to take take charge of this I go she's gonna be super mad at you and they're like God, she's yeah. so mad at me and I'm like yes because she has her own life she has these routines and it's sort of like once you see those routines from the outside and you understand how important they are, because they're holding you in place. Like yeah, that she sweeps the leaves every day, that holds her in place. So right. know that that's the routine. And for my dad, it was the same. Like he liked to draw, he liked certain things that he would, you know, he would go out and build bottle walls. And sometimes you build them in front of the windows and then we would <laughs> take them down a little every night. And like, mm. but the idea of him going out and being in his routine yeah. helped him, even if it was... A, even if it was a wacky routine, my neighbor sweeps like almost the entire street, but it's like what she does that holds her. In right. Place. And so if you come in and go, oh, you don't have to do that. No, the gardeners are coming. She gets really flustered because that's the thing that's holding her. So then you go, yeah. oh, like after you're done with that, like come over and I'll make you a sandwich. And now yeah. she loves a quesadilla. So every time I see her, I make her a quesadilla because she's always really <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, He'll say no to everything else. But if you say like, you want a case of issues? Like, yeah, definitely. And yeah. You just have to like listen and kind of notice the things that, that are, I, I don't know, that are regular in that person's life that, yeah. that don't slip away. You know, my dad could almost always be relied upon to watch um, The Greatest Show on Earth. Like if mm. he was ever really distressed, like, and we couldn't figure out how to hold him, I'd go like, oh, like, you know what? I think we have a video somewhere of British Owner. Do you want to watch that? And he'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah, that train crash is amazing. Mm. And then we just <laughs> settle into the train crash and it would like, you know, sort of yeah. soothe. It soothes you. Yeah. Yeah. For my mom, it was her like 45 pound house cat. 
Like if she was agitated and freaking out, it was like you get, I would get her to sit on the couch and we would find the cat and put the cat on her lap. And I, this cat was like 45 pounds because my mom would feed it 10 times a day because with yeah. Alzheimer's, she couldn't remember if she'd fed the cat and the cat was not going to complain. Like, okay, feed me again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad had a little dog, Radar, and that dog like was uh, our savior. I mean, he mm. really took charge of, of, of things a lot of times when we couldn't and we took cues from him like look what he's doing he's just curling up next to my dad yeah. and, and holding space with him and that's what we yeah. our job needed to be that too we just need to be the cat the cat you know and just, yeah just, um settle them yeah yeah well and i think there's something like for my mom especially you know when you have alzheimer's it's like that you lose the words right yeah. or or they're yeah. in there somewhere but they yeah. can't find their way out. And yeah. she could communicate with the cat non-verbally. Totally. Like yeah. there was no pressure to understand, yeah. to follow the thread of the conversation yeah. or the story or that it was like, I just can be. I'm just and, here. Yeah. 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 And that's, I think something we can really learn is not to be like, well, what do you mean? And no, today's Tuesday. And I mean, if we can kind yeah. of put ourselves in a cat brain I always tell people if I if I'm confused, I, I ask my accountant to explain things to me like I'm a cat because <laughs> I just feel like oh yeah, like just just bring it really slow, like just narrow it down, like kibble. Yeah. Yes, like like <laughs> right. In, in some ways, like that's that's a helpful way to go into Alzheimer's. Just really thinking, oh, I I don't need to like I can let go of almost all of of the details when I'm talking to this person. Like yes. they don't need to know what day it is. They don't need to know if it's breakfast or lunch. Like it yeah. doesn't matter if like that person is Mildred or Margaret. We don't, you know, like yeah. they let them fall, let them fall. Like the dogs don't know and they just lay in the sun and they're so happy. Yeah. So I, I do yeah. think something that we said for kind of putting yourself in animal brain. Right. Yes. Well, and I think the other piece of it too, which I don't, I'm not sure. I think your experience was probably different because it sounds like you and and your dad had sort of a playfulness even before all of this. Yeah, he did. Um, my mom and I did not. <laughs> there was it was not a playful relationship. Um, but then it we were able to do that, right? There was this um, it, there's this one scene that I write about in my memoir where my mom. I called her almost every single day because I lived in Washington state and she lived in Oregon state. And, and so when she still understood how to use a phone, which becomes confusing at some point. Right. But I would call her every afternoon and I called her one day and she had had a headache and she was trying to lay down and take a nap to get rid of the headache, but she couldn't remember the word for nap. And Mm -hmm. so she said, I was doing that thing you do when your head hurts and you're trying to get rid of it. And I said, Advil? And she's like, no, I know what an Advil is. And then, and I was like, you know, throwing out all these different things. And it became this almost like Abbott and Costello routine where it was just the most ridiculous conversation. And she's trying to find words to substitute. And I'm like, almost peeing my pants. I'm laughing so hard. And then she starts laughing and then she gets indignant a little bit and then she, like it was just this like it was utterly ridiculous but I but it was beautiful right yeah. and and it was this it was such a shift I mean there was a grief in it because like I think there's this part of you that like I just want my mom to be my mom I just want yeah. my dad to be my dad right yeah. and and when you have that shifting of roles yeah there's this it, it's just so sad, I think, to navigate that. It is sad. And and you do kind of want like, you know, I, I just want you to look after me, you know, and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's like the person that you, you know, I, I mean, I always talk to my dad about everything. And so I didn't have that person to talk to about yeah. with him. And um, we did at the beginning. Um, because he was really kind of, you know, as he would say, blown out by it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then gradually, like, we stopped being able to, to have a conversation about what was happening because it had just progressed so far. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I mean, my, uh, grandmother, his, 
mom, my dad's mom had Alzheimer's at the same time as my dad. And, yeah. um, and we would visit her together, my dad and I, and he, we would sort of talk about her mm. and he would, um, uh, I remember once visiting her and she didn't recognize him. She asked, mm. where is little Ross? And he was there and, and, and we, he was like, okay, we're, get, we're out, we're leaving, we're going now. And yeah. it was really intense. And he was like, can you believe that? Like I was right there and she was, where is little, like what kind of, you know, that's insane. Yeah. And um, he was so frustrated and angry and sad about that. And yeah. And I really saw myself in him, you know, and I, yeah. I couldn't really say in that moment, like it was my job to comfort him and yeah. I could say, well, this is happening for me too. Exactly. And, yeah. But it was, it was, yeah. And so in some ways like that, that moment was a real parenting moment for me where I was suddenly the person in charge and I was yeah. like making sure his seatbelt was on and and yeah. saying, that must really hurt your feelings. And, and yeah. she no, it's it's not her fault. It's just, but I'm yeah. talking to us both. Yeah. 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 It is. There's that grief. And then I think there's also this, this, um, you, the other thing that you were going through at that same time was like, you had physically moved yourself from, yeah. you know, Los Angeles to New Mexico. So you had completely shifted gears on your career and you also had just really started this pretty intense romantic relationship. Right. <laughs> and so there's this, there's this balance between like, Tanya gets to be Tanya, the grown up who's launching her life and her career. And oh shit, now I have to go take care of yeah. my dad, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, I mean, I, I it was like that was such a big uh split for, for me in my life. Like there's sort of certain points in your life where the road just branches off in a sudden way and and everything else that follows is is because you've taken that different route and i i think there are so many things that um that changed at the moment that i decided to go home to new mexico and um and with my dad's illness that for a long time i could not tell the story of um, my marriage, my um, children, my uh, the like sort of my career path, my, mm. my writing. I couldn't tell any of those stories without like winding all the way back to that moment of like, oh, mm. well, someone would say, well, how did you start to write a book? I would say, well, um, when I was not quite 30, my dad was diagnosed or like, oh, yeah. like, do you like find how'd you meet David and fall in love and get married? Well, the thing <laughs> is, when I was not quite there, yeah. And it was a really it's a really strange thing to kind of um need in some way narratively to to wind back to this one spot and yeah. think, well, everything that happened it happened because of this. Yeah. It, it sort of um, and then I sort of think, okay, does everything in my life sort of happened like it's all related to my dad and he was such an interesting character and I always sort of even before he was ill I would kind of tell the story of like being his daughter yeah like, oh yeah like I grew up in my my dad has that like miniature western town in the trailer like <laughs> or oh yeah he's at the arts and crafts you know like he was always really cool and so like I would always tell my story by really telling my dad's story mm. and um and it it ha- it wasn't until um kind of last summer I'm working on a new book at that I was like writing away thinking this this is another book about my dad and kind of about me and my stepmother and we're traveling. And I was like, it's all because I'm like mourning my father's death and she's mourning. And we've been traveling together for, you know, 15 years. Um, My dad's been gone for 20, almost 21 years. Wow. Um, And I was like writing it. And at a certain point I was like, I, I'm sort of concocting, the morning, the deep morning, like this deep morning doesn't seem true. Like I'm, I'm really having to really dig up some mm. connection to like 
to grief in this mm. section when really um, I'm wondering more about what my mom was doing mm. when my dad was on the road or what her, like what she was doing when mm. I was like, you know, telling these stories about my dad and how great he was or what she was doing when he was ill. And I'm thinking about my stepmother and what she was doing when my dad was ill and how she came into the marriage with her own agenda and, and where her story starts. And then I was mm. like, Oh my gosh, like this book is not about that. It's about this kind of shadow line of all these women who have been kind of just doing their stuff all the mm. way through, um, you know, in this, in this, like kind of in this, I don't know, in the, in the little dark edges around this very bright light. My dad was yeah. such a bright light that it was sometimes hard to, to see us taking this this amount of time to kind of let my eyes adjust in a way, yeah. all the other shapes in the room. Yeah, well, and, and I can imagine, imagine. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine that made it even harder to kind of find that balance between like, who is Tanya without yeah. being a caregiver yeah. to your dad? Or who is Tanya if you're not, you know, this person's, if you're not Ross's daughter kind of thing. Totally. Yeah, I've had some of that when I was taking care of my dad too, because he, my dad was my hero. Like I, you know, wanted to, if I, if anybody would ever say, is there someone you want to notice you and be proud of you? It would be like, oh, my dad, man, I would bend over backwards to, you know, and so, um, and my kids were pretty little when my dad was dying and he was again in Oregon and I was in Washington. And so trying to, it was like this, it was like this personality split almost. It's like I would have to go home and reimagine or reinvent who I was as Carrie, the mother. Yeah. And then I would go back and just fully immerse myself in this caregiving for my dad. And it was, yeah, it was really um, a challenge and kind of exhausting. It is exhausting. I think, and for me, because I had my son and then very quickly my daughter right after sort of caring for my dad that was almost seamless like Mm. that that intensive caregiving was like sort of coming out of my dad's worrying and caring for him and then you know he died a week after my son was born so Mm. I immediately had a newborn to not only um just really deeply intensively care for and I was sort of already at you know, kind of at 11 in like worry and, you right. know, alert, my alert sure. <laughs> was at an all time high just from watching, you know, my dad at one time set fire to the backyard and, you God. know, kind of at a, at a peak of like awareness. And then I kind of like just turned that onto my kids, you know, and I think yeah. for the first probably, you know, for a long time in their life, I was so worried and so kind of heightened in a way that I recognize now as being um, just, you know, the, the sort of result of, of being on even before they were born and, and having them kind of come into a life where I hadn't had a chance to, to even reorganize or think, oh, okay, what am I doing? So I was kind of grieving my dad and also like myself because I had sort of put aside my career or my my own stuff for a long time and then immediately went into parenting and and that was um and that was tricky I think you know it took a long time to figure out like oh how do I my my sort of default is caregiving you know sort of like and it feels good I notice it when somebody needs help now I'll just go oh yeah because I know exactly the sort of um boundaries of that job like it's much easier to say oh yeah like I'm gonna make sure you're okay you have a quesadilla and I'm gonna pay your bills and handle all that stuff it's that is so clearly defined for me and it comes so naturally I'm so practiced at it yeah uh, that it's much easier to do that than it is to like come up with a bunch of pitches and send them out for like Yes. Or get back to work on my book because that's, I have to make up those boundaries. But this, I know, like, I know so easily. Yeah. I've done it. Let me pack you a lunch. My kids are home from college and they're like, mom, lay off. We're, we got, (laughs) 
no, you know what? I can just do that. Do you want me to order your shoes? And they're like, oh, <laughs> room, please, you know. Just, um, yep. So that's been really, for me, it's taken a lot, a lot of time to recognize that urge and also to kind of, whoa, pull back from it or turn yeah. it on myself, right? Right. Wouldn't I like a quesadilla? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, what is it? I, you know, I, one of the things I do when I'm, um, I, I do um, grief and rage workshops with folks. And one of the questions I always ask when we first launch into the grief and rage workshops that is often the hardest for people to answer, especially mm-hmm. women identifying folks, is what does it look and feel like when my needs are being met? Right. Right. It was like, wait, my needs. What do you mean, my needs? (laughs) Like, what is that? What do I need? I mean, I'm fine. (laughs) Funny. Yes. Yeah. I know it is this kind of funny thing. And you realize, like, and I think, I mean, I've been really asking myself that question as I write lately. And when I look at my, this draft I've been working on now was, well, what was so special about travel? is that it was me with my own suitcase and I was in charge of myself. Mm. And somebody was saying, well, we're going to go here. And like, this is what we're doing. We're just, and it's, so it had like good boundaries of like, this is the trip. This is where we're going. And I'm just packing my own bag. I don't have to worry about anyone else eating or figuring out things or losing stuffed animals or whatever. Like all that, st- I'm just like, this is yeah. my bag and I'm packing it. And I think that was a, a very enormous lesson. And and traveling with my stepmother, who is, who is um, a good caretaker of herself and also a bad caretaker in the same way that we are mm-hmm. all, we have these moments where you're like, God, you're so good at this. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute, but there's all this over here that you can, <laughs> you know, like, we're all sort of like, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, we're all everything at once, you know, and it's just turning yeah. the, the levels up on any yeah. given day. Yeah. 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 This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So I would love to switch gears to talking about that part. You know, like, how did you and your stepmother decide to like start traveling together because you guys have gone to some pretty kick-ass places together <laughs> we have she is uh she's amazing um well uh it was i think um probably i don't know four five or four or five years after my dad died she um hiked to the bottom of the grand canyon by herself and camped overnight and um like just took her tent and I think took some of dad's ashes. And, um, she said, I've had this amazing experience. Like, and like, I said, I want to go to the Grand Canyon and hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. She was like, okay, let's do it next year. And, um, uh, it was just, you know, I just felt like, I don't know. And she was like, yeah, you could use a break. You you could get out of there. And mm-hmm. my kids were 
I think five and seven or somewhere in mm-hmm. that. And I thought, okay. And um, so we couldn't get a reservation. And for whatever reason, we wound up riding mules um, to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and we just, it was like a very short trip, but it was the first time I'd left my kids um, without, uh, you know, going somewhere with them or without at least taking one of them. I'd never gone yeah. anywhere by myself and so it was kind of like whoa I'm I'm like here doing this thing and I was very worried you know it's kind of like weird when I think about it now I I had this like like I almost made a file that said like in the event of my demise (laughs) yes what will happen if I leave I might you know that's the plight of the caregiver right is like I'm the hub of the the wheel and making all these lists (laughs) and you know phone numbers and like pick up and I was gone for three days, you know, it wasn't even a big deal. And um, so we did that. And I said, well, I still like, I still want to hike, you know, like, I think this was an amazing trip. So let's plan a hike next year somewhere. Mm-hmm. And she just said, well, I always wanted to go um, to Peru and I want to hike the Inca Trail. And I was like, <laughs> okay. That's an ambitious hike. I was thinking, I don't know, Griffith Canyon, but... <laughs> And um, she's she had traveled a lot. She she um, after college and um, she traveled all over Europe by herself with a backpack. And she had traveled a lot when I was uh, when she married. Even after she married my dad, she was always traveling, and they mm-hmm. went places. And um, so she has kind of like this, I think, list that you would consider the deep cuts because she had mm-hmm. been to Italy and she'd been to you know she yeah. wanted. Do the she wanted to go places that um, are more interesting. So I feel like I I lucked into it, and mm-hmm. um, and so I said, well, you know, okay, I, I got to ask David, and it'll be tricky. Um, but he he said, well, sure. So I went to Peru with her and another friend, and we hiked the Inca Trail, and then um, the next year. Uh, we went to Myanmar, um, which had just opened mm. um, to tourists, and now, sadly, is is you know not a good place yeah. to travel again. And yeah. I'm so grateful we got to go there because I think so much about um, about that place and the people we met and the the way the world kind of doesn't even know what's happening. And, yeah, and it it is on my mind all the time, and it, it kind of um, nudges me to like every time I travel, I notice more what's around me. And there's all these great Burmese restaurants in Los Angeles. I mean, not all of these, mm. like, but um, it's so fun to like find those places and, and kind of also just keep tabs on what's going on in the world and do my best to like kind of raise awareness as a yeah. result. And that's really what my stepmother is, is um, amazing about is that every time we travel, she, and I like have this longer conversation that just keeps like the threads just keep going through and weaving through the rest of our time. So we're like keeping tabs on what's going on in Peru and we're keeping tabs on what's going on in Myanmar and keeping tabs like, wow. like where we've ever been. And then it just, that just branches to, well, what's happening next door or what, how's this affecting? And, and there's yeah. this great, um, I think she's a really wonderful, uh, I don't know, that she's just a very engaged human. Yeah. And so she is a, a good reader and a really like attentive person. And so we're always, you know, sharing articles back and forth. Or have you read this book about weapons? <laughs> and like, you know, just like, yeah. Um, it just deepens our experience in a, in a way. And, and makes me feel like the world is a lot smaller and so much friendlier and yeah. kinder than than we imagine. So then I take that wherever I go, that kind of um that feeling of, well, yeah, like we're all connected and and I'm here now um just as a friend. And yeah. That that's the way we travel. Um so that's been really great. And we've so now we've been traveling together on and off for about 15 years. And we were going um, kind of somewhere every year or two. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, in last uh, last April, we 
um, I hiked the first hundred miles of the Camino um, mm. in Spain, uh, the Camino de Santiago. Yeah. Um, I left her in Logroño, Spain, and she hiked all the way to Finisterra by herself. She's wow. Amazing. Wow. I'm hoping I- to like, pick up where I left off <laughs> um, next spring and, and do some of it by myself, too. And that's what's um, been really special about our travel is that at first I didn't know that I could do those things. Like I didn't feel like I was really grateful to have her nudge me into, yeah. okay, we have a plan. Like, here's your mule, like get on, go down the trail. And then like, okay, here's a little bit more of a, this is like, now you're hiking by yourself on this thing. And it was like, every time we go anywhere, she nudges me like a little bit farther. Mm. And and at first I thought, well, it's because I can't, I'm, I'm not really wired that way. Like I, I'm afraid of heights and I'm worried about stuff and I have fear, but, um, it's like, if someone can kind of nudge you past that, that yeah. you aren't really that afraid, you know, like you, yeah. that isn't as big a part of you as you think you are. Like, I think I'm not, yeah. it's not like we're wholesale cloth, do you know? It's not like, yes. yeah, my cloth is fabric that is fearful. And right. you know, she's like, no, no, yeah. Problem keep going. (laughs) Well, and I think there's something, I don't, I mean, you can say whether or not this resonates for you, but I think there's something sort of um, magic and foundational about getting those nudges or hearing those messages from someone who's known you almost your whole life. My stepmom, um, you know, I've known her since I was eight years old and we still talk to each other on the phone at least once a week. And, you know, I mean, the pandemic really put a put a crimp in our getting to see each other in person but that and me moving to Southern California (laughs) made things more complicated too but but there's something about like this person has known me almost longer than anybody else on the planet and they've seen me through all of these different phases and it's different than like I have a a girlfriend that she and I've known each other since we were in the seventh grade and it's a fabulous friendship and I absolutely love it but but Susan, my stepmom, was like this mother figure to me. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's this nurturing quality to it. There's this part of me where like I believe her when she says, oh, I totally think you could do that. You're absolutely capable of that. And And so having like... She still can be if if shit goes sideways and I'm like freaking out or my heart is broken or whatever, I can reach out to her and know that she's going to do that sort of mothering, nurturing kind of thing. But also there's this sense that we're like equals and we know each other really, really well. Yeah, there is. There's it's a different kind of relationship. And I consider like, you know, I always I always sort of say that I was I was fortunate enough to have three parents. And when I lost one, I still have two, which is like, oh, such a bonus. Um, But it is it is a different relationship that I have with her that is sort of like, I mean, it's hard sometimes for me to remember that she's 20 years older than I am because she's so spry and she's so active and she's so, you know, and it's sort of like, like I think of her, you know, as a friend or a sister or or yeah. then, but then there's there is as um, as we've both gotten older, there's like a deep sort of um, nurturing, I think, on both sides yeah. that, that I really feel sort of you know really seen. I, I remember once taking the kids home um, to Tinkertown when they were pretty little, and I was traveling with them by myself, and I'd gone back to New Mexico to visit family, and and when I came back. Um, David picked us up at the airport and he had a big bouquet of flowers for me. And, and um, I was like, yeah, that's so sweet. And he goes, don't thank me. Um, Carla called and she said, you better get Tanya some flowers because she really deserves them. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Carla. <laughs> like, oh, you know, like that's like, she really saw how hard yeah. I was working um, yeah. kids and how, what a, what a difficult thing it was. And I think, that was seeing that she was able to sort of go, yeah, you need to get out of there. You know, she's yeah. kind of nudging me to go to writer's workshops or like, Hey, have you thought about doing this? Or, you know, I mean, she was really like, you can do this. And whenever I think about, um, you know, you kind of have that, there's like a, I don't know if you have this, but I have this sort of 
um, cheerful uh, list of of things that people have said or or moments that have been really sort of boosting that I'll like yeah. refer to when I'm sad or <laughs> feeling kind of crummy. And there's like like a lot of those entries belong to Carla because mm. she really has been you know she sent me a a copy of Writer's Market when I was in college. Like I sent her a little like essay I'd written about you know, not getting into a sorority or something. She was like, oh, mm. you're a writer, get this, send it out. <laughs> and that was like, oh, that really cheered me. You know, like those, yeah. that being seen actually as you, are, as you are or as you kind of think, well, I wish I could be like this. And she's like, you are like this. Okay. Yeah. That's, that feels really wonderful. Yeah, it does. I think there, I think there's something magic about that. My dad was like that for me. Absolutely. Like he was just, I remember how terrified I was to when I got pregnant. Like I was happy because I wanted to be pregnant, but also I was like, I don't know if I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. And he was like, Oh my God, you're going to be a great mom. And I was like, Really? And you, and you knew he wasn't blowing smoke up your ass. Like it wasn't because that was not who my dad was. Like he was not going to tell you something if he didn't mean it. And so. I think there's just something, I mean, both my parents are gone and it's, you know, I feel like I'm too young to have no parents on the planet, but, but it has definitely changed my perspective on how I parent my kids who are now in their twenties Yeah, because I remember that just really those sweet moments of having, knowing that my dad saw me as a capable adult human being and not just this little snot nosed kid who had to be disciplined. <laughs> right? I knew it feels wonderful to be seen as, as capable. And yeah. I think that's like a great thing. I really try with my own kids to do that too, is to be like, wow, look at this, what you're doing. Do you know that you're, yeah. my son is off like getting apartments and figuring stuff out by himself and renting U-Hauls. And I'm like, right on like look at you go like that's amazing yeah. you know and um my daughter is an incredible uh equestrian and and that is partially due to carla who saw her like mm. your kid needs to ride a horse she's she's a horse person and she awesome. recognized that um as a horse person herself and and i think you know seeing that and seeing those that desire in other people and and recognizing even I'm not a horse person, but like, I want to support that. Um, yeah. That's, that love and that passion. And, and yeah. wow, I mean, that's incredible. Like she jumps over fences that are, you know, like four feet fence. Like it's crazy. That's wild. Um, it's magnificent. And for me to yeah. stand back and, and let my fear sort of like go way down to a low simmer and just instead like watch her like do this magnificent thing. Yeah. Getting out of her way, you know? Yeah. yeah I used to, I um, call it the, what I used to tell my kids when they were teenagers, like, I called it minding the levees. Like <laughs> I'm, that's my job, right? I, it's my job to mind the levees and make sure that you don't drown. Yes. But in between these, you know, you get to bounce around and yeah. test things and try them. And, you right. know, cause I know you're going to fuck up, but you're going to be safe because yeah. I'm not going to let you drown. And then, you know, it, like, it doesn't matter how old you get. I mean, we might move the levees a little bit, but I'm yeah. still not going to let you drown. No. no. And so, and then, and then I think the other thing that's really beautiful is that, um, that multi-generational thing, right? Like I, I mourn that for my kids because, because yeah. my parents are both gone, but yeah. to have Carla be able to see something in your daughter and have that sort of three-way relationship, right? Where it's this like, hey, I can see this thing in you. And then you get to accept that. And then if your daughter gets to accept that about herself and soar. Yeah. 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 And I, th- I think that's, you know, they are really lucky um, that they have that. And my husband's parents are really like, they are really supportive, like that they've had these grandparents who are um, not just like, I mean, my grandparents were kind of, kind of, kind of hard and scary. You know? Yeah. But they yeah. have these people who are very um, excited about what they're doing and are wanting to support them and are really interested and like, yeah. You know, 
like trying to like, you know, where everyone in the family is trying to learn about computers so they can talk to my son. (laughs) AI and we're all like sharing articles and like, what's going on? You know, like, it's like, like you don't have to know anything to be interested in what someone else is interested in. You know, you don't have to come into it with too much knowledge, but just a willingness to, to, to participate and to know more. Yeah. 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 And to just that, I think there's, there's something so wonderful about shifting those relationships when we start to see each other as full, whole human beings, right? I mean, I still remember um, the, the moments where I started to acknowledge like, oh, my mom is actually a human being. She's right. like, you know, she's had trauma in her life. She's afraid of certain things. She struggles with different things. Like she's, and then I sort of give her permission to be a full human being. Right. And when my, um, when we moved her into a memory care facility, my youngest daughter and I went down to sort of clean out her house and decide what was going with her and what was going to go away. And, um, it was really cool for my youngest daughter to kind of like, she, my mom had, such early onset that Mm -hmm. my kids didn't really know her all that well Mm -hmm. and so to be able to tell some of the stories that I knew of like the things my mom did as a kid or the things you know like oh she had this you know 30-year career as a real estate agent or you Mm -hmm. know and to have my daughter just be like wait what like Graham was a she was a human being she was a whole (laughs) you know and um and I think that's kind of the sweet thing about if if and when, even as we're caregivers, mm-hmm. we can find ways to interact with our elders as human beings, right? Absolutely. And and they have so, I mean, everyone has so many stories and so much life experience. And, um, and sometimes like we just need to kind of sit back and listen and, yeah. and hear that. Um, it's been really helpful. Uh, I mean, in some ways, writing this as I've been working on this new draft of my book, um, I've been asking my mom a lot of questions that, mm-hmm. you know, I had just decided that she was a certain way. Like, oh, right. these are the things that my mom is this. And, yeah. and then I was sort of like coming up against places where I was trying to, you know, write. I was trying to write answers that I really didn't have. And so... Yeah. I kind of asked her like, Hey, like what happened? Like, what was it like when I was, when you were a new parent or like she married my dad when she was 19. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what was that like? And she was like, I didn't know anything. I was so afraid all the time. And, and like for, to talk to her about um, her fear and where that comes from, instead of just going, Oh, my mom's like kind of a fearful person. Right. really helpful and and I think makes her like whole and I sort of see her in a different way and and there's always time to do that yeah 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 I think it's really cool I this friend of mine whose dad was recently diagnosed with ALS I they live on opposite ends of the country right and so she's now out with him and trying to help navigate all of this um and it's been really we check in every day and cause she's an only child and like, it's all her and her mom has dementia. So right. her mom is not helpful with a lot of the logistics and, but it's, she's like, my dad and I've always been really, really close, but it's wild to see the things like, she's like, he's got ALS and he can barely speak and he can't really swallow, but he still wants to go play golf every day. Like right. that's important to him, right. To be that's out with cool. his buddies or to right. do, you know, yeah. and and they're, I feel like they're learning so much about each other. And then yeah. also to be able to watch them, like she, you know, as you do, you're fearful and anxious and, you know, what don't I know? And how do I gather all the information that I need to know? And how do I, you know, do all the things? And her dad is so calm. He's so, and and so when he's calm, then she's like, it's wild. I can just sort of calm down. Like he'll just grab me and grab the golf clubs and we go off golfing. And for that period of time, I'm not freaking out about right. Right. the ALS. It's and the- like a, a controlled space, you know? Like I think when you have 
when you can participate in something together that is joyful and comforting and is like yeah. a thing that you always loved or that kept you. Um, yeah. I remember taking my dad to Disneyland and it was like, honestly, the happiest place on earth. <laughs> because every other place that we'd been together was like, I didn't know he had Alzheimer's yet, you know, it was before he was diagnosed and, yeah. and everything we had done on on his visit to Los Angeles had been stressful because he was hungry and we couldn't find food. He didn't know what he wanted or he had to go to the bathroom and we couldn't find one or he was mm. driving and he didn't know where he was going. And, you know, I mean, it was yeah. just like, everything was stressful. And then he said, I want to go to Disneyland. And I was like, Oh my God. Yikes. No, I don't yeah. want to. <laughs> okay. Whatever. We went to Disneyland and everything like, if you want food, there is food right there. There are bathrooms everywhere. It's yeah. like, you know that you're just going to stand in line for Pirates of the Caribbean and that's what you're doing. And it's like, <laughs> we were just suddenly so relaxed to yeah. be together. Yeah. So like finding the golf game or finding Disneyland or finding, you know, whatever it is that you can kind of relax into a, a kind of, you know, a little boundary of togetherness is... yeah. Is such a gift. Yeah. Well, especially when all of the sort of systems and structures around us are not created to help people who need any sort of long-term care, right? Navigating those bureaucracies is slamming your head against a brick wall 17 times in a row. I mean, it's just this exhausting, overwhelming, confusing, like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Getting help for someone who is going through Alzheimer's or um, is is so incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say uh, for me, I, a very helpful place to start is Alzheimer's Association because they have these lovely helpline and people are willing to just talk to you until you, until you are satisfied because it's yeah. their job. They're just there to help you. And it's, it's so gratifying. I remember going there when my dad was ill and I've gone there with other people and and just having someone go, oh, that sounds so hard. Now tell me again what's happening. And then, oh, wow, that's yes. Okay, I'm hearing this. And like, that's just having someone say, that sounds so hard. I'm hearing what you're saying. Like, yeah. oh, it's a gift and it doesn't happen enough. Yeah. No, it absolutely doesn't. I mean, it's, um, we struggled, you know, with my mom and we finally found a place, but then there was a wait list and, you know, and it's cost $9,000 a month. Yes. And, you know, you're like, who, what, nine, what? I've never even made $9,000 a month. <laughs> How am I supposed to pay $9,000 a month? I know. <laughs> like, I you know. know. And then um, a lot of those options are just like, okay, we're just going to put your person in this place. And we're going to lock the door. And, you right. know, that's a tough place to be. I know. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it really is. And to feel like you're just at a constant disadvantage yeah. because somebody has to have information. Do you just don't know how to get it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? oh, I know. There's so many more um, amazing resources now than there were um, when I was going through Alzheimer's with my dad. Like, I'm amazed in the 20 years, sadly, there's still, we're no closer to a cure for Alzheimer's, but. There are so many incredible um, resources. And and also, I think a really wonderful thing that's happening that um, there are organizations, there's an incredible organization called Dementia Minds that mm. um, actually is composed of people with dementia and talking about dementia. Oh, wow. That, hey, like nothing about us without us is yes. what they say. And like, yeah. And I think for me, that would would have been so helpful because they're sort of saying, well, here it is. This is what it feels like to have Lewy body dementia. This is what it feels like to have Alzheimer's. There's sort of different things like, hey, I don't like to go into a restaurant that is too loud and I need to sit in a chair that does faces the corner and I need this. Like yeah. they're able, I mean, they're in it. So there's yeah. like, here's what I want, not... Oh, here's an expert on Alzheimer's who is telling you that, you know, we're going to, yeah. 
put you in this place. Like, right. you know, let's talk to the person. And I think over in the last, I don't know, maybe it's not enough, but there are more and more organizations that are really um, giving us a perspective um, from the the person with Alzheimer's point of view, which is, I think, yeah, we should all be asking, hey, yes. what's going on? Yeah. This is how, you know, and we kind of just did that with my dad because it was just us in the mountains of New Mexico and we didn't really have a lot of things and we learned a lot from him. Yeah. But I think there's more to do and there's some amazing, um, there's this incredible organization called All's Authors that's really cool. And it's all these different people who have written books about Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. who are writing from caregiver perspectives and um, provider perspectives and and also um, from the perspective of people suffering from Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. that's amazing. There's some incredible films um, about Alzheimer's. And um, I'm, always, I'm always on the lookout for it. Yeah changes yeah 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 because i do think i'm you know we are just more and more just the makeup of the country right it's just there there are more and more people i have a friend um who she and i were both taking care of our parents and raising kids simultaneously and we started um, a facebook group called the sandwich generation and it started out i mean i think it was eight or nine years ago that we started it and it started pretty slowly and it was just really for people to be able to vent to each other and like you know maybe start to share some ideas around resources or you know how did you do this or what do you have to do to create like a mother-in-law apartment in your house and you know things like that and there are I believe 20,000 people in that group now from across the planet and it's and people are sharing ideas about like someone will say, you know, my my dad died and I have all this medical equipment and I live in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Does anybody need, you know, a high low chair? Does anybody need like a shower chair? Does anybody and so people are sharing like practical ideas, you know, recipes, all this, but but it's astonishing the number of people who are in that situation where they're caring for elders, whether it's grandparents or parents or, you know, neighbors even. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think the numbers, I can't even remember, it's in the millions that um, are currently having Alzheimer's and like it's supposed to double in the next 25 years. Like we're, yeah. And we're just not ready as a country. Our healthcare system is not up to this. We don't have enough. Um, we don't have enough people going into caregiving because the yeah. salary for caregiving is so minimal, and yeah. um, it's impossible to afford housing. And there's just there are it's yeah. sort of like this giant interrelated problem that okay yeah. we're going to have all these people who are going to need so much care, and we are so unwilling to spend money on on, on people after each other. Yep. Well, and I think culturally too, I mean, we're, we have this idea that like, if your dad has Alzheimer's, then it's your job to take care of your dad, or it's your job to figure out how to write. And, and instead of creating this sort of social fabric where we actually believe that we all belong to each other and we're (laughs) supposed to take care of each other. Right. And it's, and that's one of the things that I loved that I had forgotten about, but I, when I reread leaving Tinkertown was when like early on after you moved to New Mexico Mm -hmm. and there was a social worker who was like, you need a support group. And you were like, we've got a support group. And you started talking about the, Mm -hmm. you know, like Maggie and Florence and uncle Louie and your dad's best friend. And like the people who would just come over and sit and shoot the shit and hang out with him or, you know, the, like the way that people would kind of tag team. And, and I just thought, yeah, that's it. That's, Mm -hmm. that's it. Like, how do we create those communities of care? Right. How do we make that our cultural standard? How right. do we make that the norm where we just we just take care of each other because we love each other? You yeah. know, where you make yeah. your neighbor a quesadilla because you know that yeah. she wants a quesadilla. <laughs> yes. And and that truthfully, that experience with my neighbor has been like remarkable because I've met so many people in the neighborhood and mm. like 
everyone has noticed, oh, this person like needs some love and yeah. and everyone's loving her in different ways. You know, like one of my neighbors awesome. was like, her rake has been laying outside for two days. Have you seen her? And I was like, yes, she is okay. <laughs> but, but he noticed that her rake had been out. You know, like he's, yeah. that's, that's like, she doesn't usually leave that out. So that's yeah. a good sign and that somebody else is keeping I makes me feel better that I'm not having to shoulder it all by myself. And yes. so that if we're all keeping a lookout on things, it makes us all calmer. Yes. We don't have to, to bear this alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, thank you. So we're going to, I'm going to put links to the organizations that you talked about in the show notes and links to, um, purchase your book and you know so people can follow you and figure out where you are but thank you so much for talking to me today this was really great pleasure it is always a pleasure to talk to you oh thank you and good luck with the new book thank you so much (laughs) getting there (laughs) all right awesome all right right. thanks tanya bye That's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of It's Relatable. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and you can find links to all the things we talked about on this episode in the show notes on the webpage for the podcast at mindbodyspirit.fm. Please reach out to me with questions, comments, and ideas for the show and download episodes and leave reviews on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you stream podcasts. If you like, subscribe, and follow, You'll be sure to get updated whenever there's a new show to listen to. The music at the beginning and the end of the show is a clip from a song called Get By. It was written by Lauren O'Driscoll, Alexander Parker Lawrence, and Moses Ray Walker. The song is performed by Lorelai and Sam Rydell, and you can find the whole amazing song wherever you stream music. I highly recommend it if you need a mood lifter. I also want to give a shout out to Moses Walker for helping me produce this podcast. He is always and forever making these technical themes seem so much more doable for me. And I am grateful for his expertise and advice. Until next time, take care, mind your relationships, and be well, everyone. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.